in in the first book you write about developing your character um mm, yeah. and and how you can do that can you expect talk about that a little bit because i think it's super important about developing your character yeah i mean honestly it's me but turned up to 11 mm. yeah 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 honestly you're developing your character is what you do when you're not performing magic that is it's who you are your character is who you are what you do what you think is important how you behave if you want to change your character that's what you have to change if you want to if you if you're only interested in magic but you are not it's not interesting enough then maybe you need to study other things you need to broaden yourself you if you're a, have a temper maybe you want to work on your temper and not have a temper and try to not have that. That's your character, all of those yeah. things. So working on your character is a, it can be a 24 hour a day job to not for your performing character, your actual inner personal character. Mm -hmm. That is what is more important even than your performing character. Uh, and if you have a good one of those, you don't so much need a performing character, especially if you're a, an amateur like me um, or something like that. If you're a professional, it's more, you might want to have one. But not everybody. Ben Seidman. Ben Seidman. I've met him in person. I've seen him perform. He's, he seems like the sort of the Paul Rudd of magic, maybe. It's Ben Seidman up there on stage. Yeah. He's just a little more excited because he's up on stage, but it's not anybody different. Then you see John Lubbock, and he's a completely different person on stage and off stage. So. so I think, but the way you develop your character is by looking at, again, this is in the, you write your script out, and then you look at every line, and can I make that line more specific to my character? Every moment. When I have a card signed, a card selected. Long time ago, I thought, how do I have a card selected? And so I wrote down, pick a card, any card, let's shuffle the back of the deck. And the way I have a card selected, I, I try to get away from all of those, as many of those things as I can. Any card. Oh, pick a card, any card. Don't let me see it. We'll shuffle the back of the deck. Those were the three things. So I'm not spreading my cards out face down. That seems like... If you were in a shoe store and they, there was just boxes, which one do you want? You'd be like, can I look at it? No, you got to pick now. So that doesn't. So just by considering the pick a card process from the perspective of a customer, uh -huh. it made no sense. So at least I have a line, which I sometimes mention the shoe box line and people laugh. So I spread the cards face up. So you're going to pick a card and we all will see it. I, I actually do almost no tricks where I'm going to guess your card. Yeah. If I'm going to do triumph, uh, your card. We all know what the card is. That's all. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Card. Not important. Yeah, yeah, I find I can understand that some presentations that's not true. For me, I have never found that to be a hindrance. Um, and then nobody has to remember it. You don't have to remember. I don't have to worry about every freaking card. We all know your card. It's just a more friendly environment. This just seemed more friendly to me. And now I'm not going to shuffle it back in the deck. If I shuffle it back in the deck, you don't know where it is. I want you to know where it is. It's right in the middle here, right above this. You know where you selected it. We'll just close the deck up and leave it like that. So I'm going to do a spread call, but there's no shuffling or other further anything of the deck. This is Jerry Anderson's idea. He didn't, he didn't, he want the spectre. If you put the card in the middle, the spectre knows exactly where the card is. Once you shuffle, they don't know. So the yeah. magic is a little bit softer then. Sure, sure. Anyway, I forgot what question you asked. So that's so did uh, I. Shall I ask another one? <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's go. Okay. Maybe if the same one again and see if you can totally different. That might be just the same question <laughs> over and over again. In your, your, your work in advertising, you mention about how an ad is only able to have one message. Yep. One Can you message. talk about the one thing and yeah. how it applies to magic? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on your show. If your your trick can get, if you want your trick to get across a message or have an idea, 
you can get across one message or one idea. A lot of people don't want their tricks to have a message or an idea. Generally, I find that kind of magic is not my thing anymore, especially, but I used to love tricks that were just meaningless. And so the, um, remind me the, remind me the question again, I've already gotten myself distracted. <laughs> About uh, the one thing the and one how thing, that applies right. to magic. Right. So your trick can have one idea. When we would make an ad, the ad, we were like, okay, what do we want this ad to communicate? And then they'd be like, well, they'd give us a list of five things. And we'd say, okay, which of these is the, if you could only pick one, what would it be? And then we would eventually get them to pick one. And I'm like, that's the one we'll make the ad for. And it's advertising. I've taught me a lot about targeting your message. You would have an ad and the target, the, the target market is this big, let's say. You're reaching for this little square of it. So you have an ad that focuses in like a laser on that thing. But that ad will kind of not really appeal to some people on the other side of the target market. They're not your target market, but most average, most companies are like, I'm not going to turn away any potential customer at all. So this strong concept would be weakened to not to make it more palatable to other people who mm -hmm. aren't really you're going to buy your product anyway. And then you end up with a weak ad for your target market that does nothing, but it's stronger for people who won't buy your product. What, what right. benefit do you get from that? Yeah, so yeah. you want to have, I think, your your message, uh, if you have an idea of a message, is it right for these audiences or is it right for you? Right? Does it represent you? The This goes back a little bit to character, but that's if you pick tricks that you like and tell the audience why you like them, by the way, this is something I never have seen a magician do, but you love your tricks that you do. I hope Gene Berger would do this sponge balls and he didn't like it. He, but he said, I couldn't find a better trick. So I had to keep doing it, <laughs> but he did tricks that he loved mostly, I think. And then that was that one. He would say, I do the sponge balls because I can't stop getting people just love it. So, much i can't stop but that was he you know he did the tricks that he liked and if you do the tricks that you like you want the audience to like them yeah. a lot of times what the magician likes about a trick is you can't communicate to the audience some nit thing of the method or whatever mm -hmm. um and so i think that's you know you gotta maybe that's a useful thing to help you maybe those aren't tricks for the audience maybe those are tricks you do for other magicians yeah. if you're going out and doing a trick for the audience and the only thing that's really great about it is the method they don't get that what do they get out of that? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Find a different trick. Find it's so hard trick. to get a method that you just think is so great, and you're just desperately trying to figure out a way to make it into a thing. But Guy Hollingworth did a lecture at the Magic Con a bunch of years ago, and he four different versions of the same packet trick, and he showed the original version and how it worked, and then he tried to improve it, and so he did made this change and he replaced a gimmick card or whatever and changed this move, and this was better, and then he did a third one and that was better, and then he did a fourth one that was the final one that was the best of all, and then he said. Now, is that good enough? And the answer was no. This is the best version of the trick that I made. It took a year and a half or more, whatever, working on it. Is it good enough? No. Okay, put it in the drawer and do the tricks that are good enough. And I mean, I've worked on tricks that I don't get them to a usable phase. It's somewhat disappointing, but I usually find that I learned something yeah, from yeah, the experience. Yeah. But that was... That was his uh, thing. So if you want to have yourself, tell the audience what you love about a trick, try to help them to love it too. I think that's one of your main goals as a magician should be to get your audience to love the tricks you do, right? Absolutely. Doesn't that seem like you're one of your goals? Absolutely. So tell them what you love. Yeah. See if you can get them to love it. What I love about this trick is that nothing happens until it actually touches. And now they're going to be paying attention to that. 
And so now you can do misdirect attention from whatever you need to misdirect attention away from and just get them to focus on the best possible moment of the trick. And wow, I mean, that seems like a positive thing. Absolutely. So that, and plus you're putting more of yourself in it. The real benefit of that is, let me tell you what I love about this trick is I'm going to help you to try to love it. But really what's happening is I'm expressing to you who I am and what I love. Yeah. That's what the audience wants. Yeah. But I, here's my opinion. I, I've said this to all the kids in the juniors program at least once. Put more of you in the tricks. That's what the audience wants. They don't care about the tricks as much as they care about you. They want you. They want to know who you are. Give them what they want. And it's very, a lot of magicians, especially, you know, amateurs and up and coming, the, the juniors, some of them are more a little shy. You know, sure. it's whatever. But that's what the audience wants. They want to know who you are. They want to know what you care about. A lot of, it used to be people would perform in a sort of inoffensive calculatedly inoffensive way so as not to piss off any of their audiences but then they ended up not revealing anything about themselves yeah or what they ended up revealing about themselves was that they're actually not that interesting <laughs> so yeah here's my playing card vest um everything you do reveals something to the audience yeah yeah everything you do and everything you don't do Let the, if let's you, touch if on... you have a chance to make a line Sometimes it'll happen. Somebody spectator will say something and you have a chance now to make a response, which is going to be either slightly sexually inappropriate or slightly demeaning to the spectator. And you don't necessarily want to do that. And you'll see some performers will say it anyway. Some performers will stop and say, hmm, I guess I shouldn't say that now just to give the audience maybe a chance to catch up to it. And some of them will just smile and move on. And those all of those choices are revealing something about you. Everything you do reveals something about who you are. So you might as well take the lead. Might as well write it out in advance in your script, and then you don't have to worry about rescind, but it's in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 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 that leads on to this, really. Let's talk about jokes in scripts. Where ah. do you find people go wrong most oh, okay. commonly? Um, uh, terrific. I, I can tell you John Cleese's answer. I love answering these questions with somebody else's answer because, again, uh, I'm the imposter, right? But I can tell you what John Cleese says, and I hope his, uh, his authority. So he's talking about um, you're either writing a script and you have a point in the script where you need a joke and it's the last joke and then you'll be done. And so you don't have a good joke, but you have a joke. It's not that good, but you'll be done. And so if you put that joke in, you're done. And then you don't have that. Mm, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. I need to finish this. I need to finish this. I need to finish this. And what he says is the key to success to creativity is being willing to be uncomfortable long enough to come up with something that is good. And so that's where people go wrong. They settle for a line that they've heard, that yeah. they think, oh, that line will go good here. That's honestly, that's probably in, a, in an overall sense. The biggest mistake people make is they don't understand that what makes a joke funny is the character who says it. Usually, at least half of it is that. Bill Malone will deliver a line and get a big laugh and then other somebody else will deliver that same line and not get a laugh and it's not because they're not that funny even if they're funnier than bill malone they're not bill malone yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it's not going to be as funny a line and it's some lines you can do that and get away with and have some but they can know, say it exactly the same way bill malone says it beat for beat every nuance and it dies because they're well, not bill malone it doesn't die it'll get a small laugh yeah okay and then they're like well it got a laugh so they'll keep doing it but they the good is the enemy of the best they don't they're, the jokes are, are funnier if they're personal to you. They're funnier. There are – one. I gave a whole lecture on comedy at um, Magi Fest. 
And I only ever know of two theories of comedy. And one of them was Isaac Asimov. And he said, comedy comes from a sudden change of perspective. So you have to establish the perspective and then there's a line that changes it. Or you suddenly learn that something you've been describing can be interpreted in two ways. And then this new perspective is the joke. Um, and that's great. But I think you don't need to have a change of perspective. I think the audience can just have a realization and that is funny enough. So um, Rowan Atkinson does a bit where he's a guy in the movie theater, totally silent, walks in, he has to struggle to get past people and apologize to this and that. And then he sits in his chair, he's got his popcorn and his drink and he grabs the popcorn, he shovels a whole bunch of it in his mouth and everybody laughs because they just, he's so hungry. And then at one point, he's just watching the show and nothing's happening and he starts, And people are like, what's he doing? And then gradually, he's getting because there's a popcorn kernel caught in his teeth. Just the realization that that's what he's doing, it's a laugh. Yeah. It's no joke. It's not funny. Yeah. It's just funny to watch. There's a huge difference between lines that are funny uh, on paper and lines that are funny when someone says them out loud. Tom Burgoon had a bit. He borrowed a quarter from some check. This is in the palace at the castle. He borrows a quarter from something. He walks over to the side of the stage while he's chatting the stage hand hands out a um like a champagne bucket metal champagne bucket he drops the quarter in makes a nice sound sucker or something like that as he walks back to the top of the stage uh we can another get you know everyone every night and a small laugh then he goes to the uh, he says we've been doing this all week and he says to the stage how are we doing and the stage hand shakes the thing and you can hear some coins rattle around in it that didn't make you laugh to hear me say that but I saw him do it live three times and it was a big laugh every time. And I, the first time I was like, really? And then the second time, yep. And the third time, that is funny when you do it. It's not funny to read it in a script. It's not funny to have somebody say it out loud to you, telling you about it. Nobody, I tell the story relatively frequently. Nobody ever laughs when I tell the story. But everybody in the audience laughed, every one of them. And that is, that's a huge lesson. That was the number one thing I learned working on the staff of Sports Night is we would get the scripts, and then there would be a table read before, you know, the sure. first day of the week, read the script, and then everybody can have questions or costumes or whatever. That's the first thing. And I would read through the script and make a tick anywhere I thought would be a laugh. And then I would read along at the table read. And I would, there were the first, I don't know, three or four of them. There were lots of moments that would get a laugh that I did not, that would surprise me. And by the end of 20 episodes, 22 episodes, nothing surprised me. I would, oh, this is going to get a laugh. It's not funny to read on the page, but this is going to get a laugh when he says it. Not nothing would surprise me, but I, it was much less often that I'd be surprised because I had a sense of this would be funny just to see somebody do it. To see somebody or to see that character? Were you oh, like, indeed. Yes. To see the, that character do that line. That was funny for that character to have right. that moment, to have the audience see that. Yeah. And it's, there was a, when, uh, do you ever, uh, there's a show called Taxi, which was on. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember Taxi. <laughs> and Carol Kane, when she auditioned to play this uh, Latka's wife, she went in and to the thing and was like, I don't know how to make these lines funny. And James Brooks said, don't. We made them funny or not. You just say them like they're true. And she would deliver his lines like they were true and they'd be hilarious. And they, but it wasn't because she was saying them in a funny way. A lot of people think to make a line funny, you have to do something funny or uh -huh. goofy. And yeah. that can work. You know, Jim Carrey does that. He made a pretty good career out of that. Yeah. Although he doesn't do it so much anymore, I've noticed. <laughs> he seems to have grown past that a little bit. But but I think that's part of it. That's where um, comedy, so changes of perspective are where comedy uh, come from or the realization of something that they didn't realize before that can produce a laugh. And just 
Um, seeing people do things, there's a lots of things that are funny when people do them that are not funny to read on the stage. And if you can learn to uh, see that, if you can learn to see, well, that'll be funny when I do that. That's great. It's a lot of magicians. We were doing, I was doing a show with my old, my uh, best friend from middle school. I was visiting his family and he still has all his old props. We put on a show. I got to do stratospheres. It was <laughs> but he had a Buddha temple thing and we were going to do a production. And then he had this bunch of stuff and I'm like, okay, here's what's going to happen. At the, one of the things you're going to pull out is a light bulb. And then you're going to walk over and screw it into some thing. And while you're doing that, I'm going to walk up and load another whole bunch of load into the production chamber while nobody's looking. And I mean, it, just off the top of my head, I knew it was going to work just because I've done enough shows to know that when you produce this thing and start walking over to screw it into the actual, oh my God, people are going to be like, wow, that was missing the whole time. That's totally going to swamp attention. And I'm just going to walk up and load. And then we can go back and look, produce a whole another bunch of stuff. Yeah, so yeah, we've yeah. produced two, whatever, two uh, temple screens full of material um, just from that moment, which I knew would work. I knew that would work. Not always do I have that experience, but I knew if I did this, everyone will put attention there. It'll work. You, the same thing happens sometimes with comedy. I'll do this and it'll be funny. Yeah. And yeah. you just kind of learn that, but you have to try it to learn it and paying attention to it. Cool. And it helps if you, if you, when it works, then you can look and go, oh, this is probably working because yeah. of that and understand it. And then if it doesn't work, you can tweak it or make it a little stronger or change it or do whatever. But the basic principle of just, no, just understanding that that can be. Yeah. You can write something that will make people laugh and it's not funny to read. Yeah, yeah. So that takes that, that, but that definitely, that was one of the longer things it took me to learn, I would say. If you had content, if you were to condense everything in these two fine terms, yes, into one most important piece of advice about scripting magic, what would it be? Well, um, Vernon spend practice spend hours practicing your or whatever practice your slights to perfection then spend hours on what to say um but in reality i think that's uh, i think more useful advice is spend look at every moment of every trick you do and see if you can put yourself into it more okay that's there we go. that's if there's just one thing you can do the second thing even before you get that if you just want to go through your scripts and look at them from the audience's perspective that's usually what most people say is the biggest single benefit they get from scripting that's you can get it first so if you've had that benefit already and you want to move on to something more advanced um, i think put yourself in every single moment that you can or try at least to put something of yourself in every moment that you can because that's what people want to see now, regardless of your self-imposed imposter syndrome or otherwise, yes, yes, go ahead. You I, I will, are... If you want, I will act like I think I'm confident. <laughs> <laughs> you will be teaching our masterclass series soon. Oh, what that's right. can people expect? Oh, all right. So the first uh, three sessions, if you've done a, never done a masterclass, there's three of them. The first one is basically the scripting magic workshop that I teach at conventions or magic clubs or whatever for the last 15 years. Um, series of exercises starting from nothing uh, and work your way up to when you are ready, I would think, to do your first script. So we look at individual pieces um, and th the common things magicians say and how would you say them to be more distinctive or make them more you? Uh, that's where one of the exercises is, how did you do that, for example? Right. Um, and I have in and most, usually there's, uh, I 
talk and then they there's a minute to write your answers down and then they share. So we didn't really have the sharing, but I did have uh, Josh Jay and Andy Gladwin and a couple of other people, Francis Minotti, uh, who did it in advance and sent me some of their stuff. So I share some of their work. Then that goes on for, I don't know, an hour or so. And then the first one ended up being a bit long. I don't know how long it will edit it down to, but it's a bit long. Then I teach a couple of tricks or, or technique things that involve scripting because you want to, you spend an hour and a half on a workshop. You want to get, yeah, people, people tricks. like tricks. People want to learn a trick, and that's uh, I, I do too, so why not? So there's a couple of uh, little moment that you can use in a triumph routine and a thing, and then a couple of tricks that demonstrate some of the benefits of scripting, I hope. And then I have um, I wanted to try to make the Q&A for the third one to be not just all the standard questions that I've already heard. So I've already heard them all. So I picked the first five of the top ten, and I answered them in question in class one. So they're all answered in there as well. That's class one. Class two is everything advanced. So you theoretically start with a script, even if it's just you record yourself and then transcribe it or have otter.ai transcribe it or upload the video to YouTube. And then YouTube will generate a transcription for you, which you can then download. So it's a little bit more of a of work. But you have a script. And then we talk about things that you can go through the entire script and look at this element, go through the script, looking at this perspective of it. Usually they're not that long. You know, it's maybe a three minute trick or three sure. script or something like that. Um, and then all the more advanced talk I have on structure and David uh, Ben's The Tragic Rhythm, it's not specifically his, something he lectured about. And more advanced, all the more advanced stuff once you've gotten to the point where you got a basic first script and you want to go past that. Okay. Um, everything that I have, every advanced exercise I have, most of which have never really been taught at, at um, because the standard workshop is hour or whatever most people that's about all they can do yeah, so that's yeah, number yeah. two and then there are then there's a couple more tricks uh and then the other last five most commonly frequently asked questions the faq and then third will be i think different than all the other ones okay you no go on carry on oh, okay um third will be uh I, first i'm going to start with anything i missed i have to watch the things and see anything i left off but mostly the first thing I want to do is all the exercises that people did in one and some of the exercises in two, I want them to share. So right. try to get people to share in the chat. Mm -hmm. And so you'll hunt people, lots of people, because that's, that's invaluable way to learn any creative activity is to watch what other people are doing. Yeah. And you look and you're like, oh, I didn't even know that was possible. Right. <laughs> and so now you, maybe you don't do that, but that unlocks for you something now that you know that's possible. That unlocks for you. So yeah, I want to yeah. get lots of them shared in the chat and you can see what other people have. I think that would be really cool if we could make that happen. Well, what we could do actually is for the for the live Q&A that we can post on the VI Monthly Facebook group. And I think some people will be scared to share their work, but there oh, may yeah. be some brave souls sure, that sure. would be prepared to upload or share what they've done. And then in the yeah. live Q&A, uh, we could maybe have a look at some of that and yes, discuss exactly. it. Or possibly collect the chat log and just email it to everybody. Yeah. So yeah. that's another way. We can, we can so work out a way to make work, that work. I think that would be pretty cool. Um, yeah. And then the Q&A, I think, should not be, you know, I mean, I, people can ask any questions they want, obviously. But I think instead of, you know, what is the most important thing about, you know, mentalism or whatever, give me a specific, I'm doing this trick. And this is my sort of character, and I need a good way to introduce it, or a line, uh -huh. or a structure, or whatever. So and specific. A specific question. Then I can give them a specific answer that is Wonderful. either helpful 
to direct answer the problem or give them, you know, a new way to think about it or another perspective. Um, And that's what I'd like to see. I think that would be more useful. I love doing that too. That's all I do. I go to the juniors meeting and somebody come up, what's my dear trick? And I just, what if you did this and that or the other thing? And so I I love doing that. I think that'd be more useful than sort of generic questions. If people have general questions, sure. I can tell you the number one most important thing about mentalism by the way it's the audience has to be absolutely certain that that's not a stooge that's MJ, well i will be hosting the q a so i oh, can fantastic. hopefully i can hopefully steer the people to get as specific as we can now what type of performer or what level of experience would you say the masterclass is aimed at oh gosh i don't know my masterclass is aimed at everybody who has um had any thought of making their magic better by using scripting. Um, whether you're a beginning magician and you figure you want to start at there at the beginning, whether you've been doing magic for a long time and but you've never really paid that much attention to scripting, um, that's where class one will start. Um, here's an interesting point. So the exercises in class one are more beginner level, let's say, mm-hmm. fundamental. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're if you're advanced, you don't do those again. Right. Push-ups are pretty simple exercise. But when you're getting in shape, no matter how much you're in shape, you're still doing your push-ups. Yeah. When I interviewed Derek Hughes, he had just come from an improv class because it's like working <laughs> out. Right. He wants he uses those skills in his act. So he trains to keep them trained. I think that is um, uh, I think that is I've off, gone off the track there. No, 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 no. It's like more, the, the more advanced people can down. get something out of the beginner yes, stuff. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The more advanced you are, the more you get out of those beginner level exercises. Yeah. That's yeah. for sure, too. So if you're an and when I do them, when I was up at the at Magi Fest, there were people in the audience who are professional performers who have done all this stuff. But they were, they wrote the whole thing out. I, I emailed Francis Minotti. Uh, he, oh, he, to give me some of the samples for the stuff that I could share in the master classes, the pre-recorded ones. And he did every exercise, 10 of them I sent, just because they're useful. And yeah. sent me back all of his thoughts and his whatever and his responses on all of them. And they were all the most fundamental beginner level exercises. But he still did them. And as he wrote it, it's the thing, I'm glad I did this because I got something out of a couple of these things. There we so go. there's no exercise that you can't learn anything from, I don't think. Um, but it is designed that if you're uh, to take you from and that's one of the nice things about it being a video. You can watch half of one and then let it sit and mm-hmm. come back to it in a month or two months yeah. or three months after yeah. you're ready these, to move these, on to these the aren't, These aren't watch it and then they're gone. They're added to yeah. your account. You can download them and keep them forever. Come back to it in a year. Come back to it in five years. When you Yeah, that's the you're... biggest advantage of it versus live. Live is you get the chance to share your work and there's more community, sure. whatever. Um, but having it where you can pause the video anytime and come back mm-hmm. to it and refer to back to whatever, that is really great. But then in so, the, in the final week, we get the advantage of the ah, live with me hosting the, the, the Q and a with, with everybody and you October or something, right? Ten yes. Days? First weekend in October. Um, Pete, we are so over time, yeah, um, oh, but well. we always end the show with four quick fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Favorite pizza topping? Uh, pepperoni and pineapple, sorry. You don't need to say sorry. Be proud of your beliefs. But I do anyway. Um, uh, favorite movie? Oh, just um, Memento was my most recent favorite movie. Before that, it was Brazil. But since Memento, maybe Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I love that movie. Okay. Favorite person or people who make music? 
Ooh, Elvis Costello. And finally, who would you rather fight? One massive Andy or a hundred tiny Joshuas? Um, what's the f nature of the fight? Sorry to be to call you down. Like weapons, I think, bare, or like but you can you can interpret it interpret it how you wish. There can be weapons. It could be bare knuckle. And it's a hundred tiny. Hundred tiny, tiny Joshuas, Joshua's one tiny, massive Andy. Obviously, I don't mean to be difficult. I six inches. Six inches. Six inches. Mm -hmm. But there's a hundred tiny Joshuas. Okay. Just because that would be a, and if I want to fight Andy, I could just go up to him and you know shove him, and at least I'd have some experience of fighting. But Josh, there's only one, there's only one way I could ever get the experience of fighting a tiny six-inch Josh Jay is, is by this one. So that's what I would have to choose. I have a students. I give my students an assignment where they have, um, they get to pick characters, and then they have certain traits, and some uh -huh. of the traits are, would help you in a fight, and some of them are like down would help, and they have to combine them, and then they write an article about the fight and what happened. It's a creative writing activity. And so one of them is that you could uh, clone yourself, but every clone is only half the size. And so that they get barely uh, smaller. So that's one of the features. Thing. And an army of tiny little things is one of the other ones. You could summon an army of whatever, but there was only little ones. So that's the, the Joshua J's. Who whoever picks a real Andy? Oh, um, people, people, well, you see, I change it. Sometimes it's a massive Josh and a hundred tiny Andes. Um, oh, okay, fair but, enough. But, and um, I, in that case, I would pick a hundred tiny Andes, again, just for the experience. Hector, Hector Chadwick, um, a.k.a. Stephen Long, picked the giant Andy because he imagined, and this is no disrespect, Andy. giant Andy, he imagined oh, yeah. him to be a bit slow and dim-witted. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come and fight you. <laughs> and he's yeah. And he thought that, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yes, thought that, that might be quite, he could just I run was, away. I have to admit, I assumed you were talking about life-size Andy versus a thousand, not no, giant. giant. Okay, I may have to rethink this completely. Oh, for heaven's sake, I, Pete. This is meant to be quick fire. I know, I know, I know. But, <laughs> you know, sometimes we do multiple drafts. Uh, all right, I'll go with a thousand tiny Joshes. But no, I mean, I used to play soccer, so no thousand tiny, any six-inch doll, anything is going to beat me. I'm just going to kick them all over the place. Uh, Pete McCabe, thank you so much for your time. I do appreciate it, and I hugely look forward to your masterclass starting on the first weekend of October. Thank you very much for getting me involved in this and being a great host. It was, I had a great time, uh, and so I hope that some of that came through. Thank you very much, Pete. Take care. You are welcome.